You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. And good morning to everybody. It is good to see everybody here today. I'm glad you made church a part of your life today. I know that there's always a lot of things to do and the weather's good, and, but uh, and Virginia is not short on offering activities. But I love coming to church, yeah. and I love seeing you. I hate preaching to myself. <laughs> so you make, it, you, make it, you make it good for me. I appreciate that, but I'm so glad to have you today. Listen. We're going to continue on in the series, Faith Under Fire. It's based on the Gospel of Mark. And I began this a couple weeks ago, so this is the third message. I'll wrap it up next week. But we're looking at the challenges surrounding our faith and some of the principles that we live by and how culture is making a significant shift. And what does that mean to us? And the Bible has those answers. Sometimes we don't know the background of Scripture. And... uh, If we understood the background, we would see, wow, there's a lot of scriptures that speak to what is going on today. So today we're going to Mark chapter chapter 8, I hope, because I'm hitting my button and nothing is happening. So would you stand for the reading of the word? Mark chapter 8, verses 34 uh, through 38. We're going to get it there. That's all on me. There we go. That's just to see if you're paying attention. Come on, let's read together. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now Jesus, as we look at the word, we ask that it speak not only to our minds, but also to our spirit. There is a Holy Spirit, and it has a way of speaking to the human spirit. And that is what we ask for. You know everybody's storyline here. You know the momentums and the trajectories of life for every single person in this room. And I pray that as the words are shared, you have a way of making them applicable to everyone here. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated. So I want to do a little introduction on the series because we always have new folks who are joining with us. Uh, I don't go over some things because I think you forgot. Okay, this is an interactive message today, feel free. But uh, so I want to cover a few things so that people can, I call, ramp in and be a part of the momentum of what is going on. We are, if we look at our history as, as followers of Christ, you'll see that Christians have at times, we've been marginalized and there's been seasons where we've been vilified. I'm, I'm not going to say that there also hasn't been times when the values that we live by have not been, they've been embraced. 
But right now we find that some of the things that we believe are getting more marginal and even some folks in our culture are beginning to vilify some of the Christian community in their beliefs and such. And so we, this is not new. We got to know that history speaks to this and we have guidance. But because we're not aware of the history behind some of the scriptures, we don't know how it speaks to us. So that's why we're looking at the Gospel of Mark. Because the Gospel of Mark was written to Christians in Rome who were being executed often for sport due to the Emperor Nero's accusation that the Christians were the cause of the great fire of Rome. Nero was the one responsible, but he found that the Christians were an easy scapegoat. This fire happened around July 18th to July 23rd on 64 AD. And so the Christians are finding themselves, because of their beliefs, are under persecution. They're being put to death. They're being done for sport. And what I want you to recognize was this. It was their beliefs that allowed Nero to make this accusation to. It wasn't anything the Christians were doing in the community. They weren't causing any problem. It was the belief system. They would not accept Rome's normative morale, what they considered normative morality of the day. The Christians were living in opposition. They had a different lifestyle. And this was challenging for the followers of Christ because here they are now under persecution, not because of something they actually did. They're under persecution because of what they believe. They wouldn't become a part of mainstream Rome. And Nero and those in government and other people obviously as well, they just, they just saw the Christians as, as, as an issue, as a holdout, and they just wanted, the, they just wanted Rome to be unified. See any similarities? Yeah. So here they are. They're actually now incarcerated. He's writing to the Christians who are incarcerated. And if you've ever been to the Colosseum in Rome, how many have either been to the Colosseum or you have at least seen a photo of it? Let me see. And I know that Hollywood has a way of sanitizing that because it says, well, this is where all the gladiators and they make movies about the gladiators. And that's true. There were, but that's what, what a significant portion of, of history that they absent. Imagine Hollywood ignoring history. <laughs> Such a shock. <laughs> thousands upon thousands of Christians died there. And they had no chance. It was sport. It was, made, it was set up to make sure that they didn't survive. And I, and I say, I've been there, my wife and I, it's, it's sobering to stand, to be able to have the ability to walk out there and stand and look at those, look at those stands of where people would, and just think, wow, what, there's a lot of people, this was the last place they stood before they stepped across the eternity. And they were there not because they were a gladiator, not because the playing field was level and they had a chance to survive. They were put there because they were followers of Christ. It was their values and their morals and their belief systems that put it. And they were put out there with no chance of survival. Their wife, their kids, anybody associated with them. And so as we look at this today, we find that we're entering a, a phase in culture where people are trying to make the new political and cultural shifts now the new doctrine of the church. There's pressure put on religious leaders and pastors and teachers to make this new adaptation we're, we're sometimes accused of. It's because of you guys that there's this tension in culture. It's your fault. If you would just come on board, you know, these, these things that need to move, we need to update. And I, and I say that I've been, I've been the recipient of, I'll say communal pressure, okay, of 
How can you stand up and say those things? What do you, why, why don't you just, why, what is it about your church? What is it about your denomination that they are such holdouts? And I go, wow, now we're holdouts. Okay. Um, what happened to diversity of belief? You know, I understand you have a right to believe, but what you're telling me is now I don't have a right to believe. Your idea of tolerance is seeing it your way and taking mine away. I don't understand that. And what we and I'll say this, there's a lot of confusion because we have religious leaders now making significant shifts, flipping the Bible on its head literally and changing what has been preached for centuries and now they're flipping it and changing it. And it's creating a problem for many folks going, "Well, what is it about them that they're shifting? Why are they doing it? Where are they getting their authority? Where did they come up with these interpretations?" And I, I will tell you this this. That's and I want to, this is not an attack, everybody listen to me, this is not an attack message today. I, I want to help you to see what's going on, how it is happening and what, what's happening is this. It used to be as a pastor, and I still do this, you take the word and you go apply it to culture. Somewhere it has flipped and some religious leaders now look at culture and come to the Bible and try to change it based on culture has now become the new authority and it's you can see that that can take you places you don't want to go that can lead to very dangerous doctrines and things being taught so what we read in the Bible what we see here in the Bible but also now today is this as a result many Christians are be actually becoming more Roman in their beliefs than biblical they're not, they're not quoting the Bible, they're quoting a trend in culture. They're becoming more Roman. And so we have to understand that challenge and go, hey, I, I live in American society and I understand, I get it, but the first thing I want you to know is I'm drawing my morality from my scriptures and my Bible. I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ who's living in American culture. I thought it was really awesome that point there. <laughs> I was just having a holy moment there, excuse me. So, uh, and so let's be, we're gonna look at this a little further, but this passage that we read today is recorded also in Matthew and also in Luke. So this is a pretty significant teaching that many of the writers of the Gospels found. We know that they sometimes shared the same story. Sometimes they would highlight a story that stood out to them that the others didn't highlight. But this one is shared by three of the four Gospels. And we, re we know that Mar or Matthew was written to the Jewish people, so this was significant because he was writing, so it was applicable to the, to the Jewish people. Luke was writing to the Gentiles, so we know that this had application, but certainly to those who were in Rome who were facing death and persecution, this certainly had a lot of relevancy to them. But what I want you to recognize is, is there's a story in the Gospel of Mark that precedes the one that we read today. And it's actually a very popular one. Uh, it's a story of where uh, uh, Jesus uh, commends Peter because he says, who do people say that I am? And then Peter says, well, I think you're the Messiah. And then, you know, Jesus confirms, you know, that that's well done. Wait, wait, you know, Jesus was having a high moment. One out of the 12 got it. <laughs> He's just excited. One of them got it. And then a little later, in the same passage, Jesus begins to teach how he has to go to 
Jerusalem and die for the sins of the world and be raised from the dead. And Peter takes him aside, and, it, and the word, in, in, it's translated in the Hebrew, it says he took Jesus aside and rebuked him. I'm thinking, whoa, what a day that is. Let's take the Son of God and tell him to knock it off. And, and in response to that, it says in the, in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus in turn rebuked Peter. Now, what I want you to know is what the word rebuke means in the Greek. It means to censure, forbid, to charge sharply. It means it's, it would be like, hey, you got to knock that off. You can't keep doing that. So we got Peter rebuking Jesus and Jesus counter I can imagine the disciples like, oh, this is an interesting dialogue that's going on here. We got each guy that is rebuking each other and they're doing it sharply. So it's not like, you know, Peter went up and put his arm around Jesus like, hey, you know, really, could you chill out a little bit? This message of dying is really not helping the offerings. <laughs> no, he rebuked. He, he got on Jesus. Man, you have got to stop this. And Jesus met him and went, get thee behind me, Satan. And I can imagine the other disciples going, whoa, tension in the house. <laughs> and then he launches into the passage that we read today. That not only did the Son of God, was the Son of God facing a very difficult and dark day in his life, he also knows that followers of Christ from time to time find themselves facing some dark days. That's why those two stories are piggyback. It was, it, was, it was Mark's way of saying, Jesus gets you, man. He gets it. He's not just throwing, he's not literally throwing you to the wolves and the lions and is walking away because he actually walked to his death. So he, under, he understands what you're facing and what you're going through. So Mark then begins to demonstrate the suffering is part of being different in Roman culture. We have to kind of get our heads around. We don't, have, we don't have persecution of this magnitude in our lives today. But I think everybody knows it's real easy to be marginalized and dismissed in a conversation when they see that you're not laughing at their jokes. When they sense that, oh, I notice you don't X, Y, Z, or I notice you never... You're never available on Sunday morning. What do you do? Go to church? Yeah. It's, it's easy to get the criticisms and some of the things that come associate. We're starting to see this happen in our culture. As, and, and one of the things that I've said over the years as a pastor is this. The best thing you can ever tell your kids when they go, well, why can't we do this? And why can't we do that? And why this? And why that? And why? And I had a real standard answer for our kids. We're different. The big questions usually can be answered by a simple answer. We're different. Well, why do we have to be different? We're followers of Christ. Sometimes we're more in alignment with culture and we're not as different. And boy, does that make life a lot easier. But there are other days we wake up and culture's way over here and we're here. And we have to get used to that. We don't throw it in people's faces. We don't say we're better than them. We're, we're not condemning in those kinds of acts. But we have to get comfortable from time to time that because of the difference between us and culture, the spotlight finds us. And we just have to get comfortable with that. And you live who you are, but you live the values, you live the beliefs 
And sometimes, I will tell you, I don't listen to comedians anymore because I, I'm, tired, I'm tired of being the source of their jokes. I mean, they, they mock Christianity, they mock, they're always taking digs, you know. They call us sometimes other names, but it's just, you know, I'm like, really? You're hurting for material, so let's hit the Christians. Your lack of creativity, well, everybody will laugh at them. And I'm just like, you know, I don't even wait to see where they're going. I just go, I'm, I'm tired of being surprised. I'm tired, I just, I just tune them out, I'm like, I just, I don't want to hear, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to see if I'm going to get to be part of the script again, what I believe, how I live, the things I, I'm just, I'm just tired of it. And I just, I just tune them off. And I, if you don't know, I, lo I love good humor. <laughs> I attempt it sometimes myself. <laughs> but welcome, welcome, welcome to how the cultural shift is happening. And so, as followers of Christ, I think it's important for us to go through what was written to these followers of Christ, that text that we read today. So, they're not really, uh, I'm not going to tell you that these are earth-shattering points, but I think the content is rich, okay? So, number one, just read the first one. Defining, we need, first of all, I think it's important that we define what that is. Why? Because you turn on the TV and you see artists and athletes and everybody, they got a cross around their neck and they're doing and saying anything but representing the cross around their neck. And you're just kind of going, wow. Obviously, you don't believe what's around your neck right now. <laughs> and you're not even trying to get it into the ballpark, what you believe, I mean, on that. You're, it's obviously just jewelry to you. But that cross means something to me. And I would want you to espouse the values that it represents, but they don't. So a lot of people will say they're Christians, but then they do things that totally drown out what they just proclaim to be. And so you're stuck. So listen to this. It says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple." Oh, there's a great death. Must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. All right, let's break that down. What is, so he uses the word disciple. The Greek word there means to accompany. It means to be an attendant. So if you're a disciple, you're not leading Jesus. He's leading you. This is not co-leadership with Jesus. This is Jesus is establishing the lead, and you're reading what he's doing and doing that with your life. This is not about adding Jesus to the momentum of your life. This is about letting him set the momentum. Then it says there, we have to deny ourselves. This means to abandon one's self-interest. So I don't come to Jesus with an agenda and realize, wow, there's a God with all this power. If he got behind my plan, just think what could happen. No. Deny myself means I throw all my plans out the window and I'm just saying, what do you want out of me? I've said this before, but I'll remind you, one of the most powerful prayers that you can pray is this. God, I'm not going to tell you how to make me happy. You made me. You created me. You gave me my giftings. How about you show me and I'm in. Because I've lived long enough, and I'm going I'm to take a poll here this morning. 
How many have ever said a prayer and then later on said, thank God he didn't answer it? It would have been disaster. <laughs> and you know what, man? We were absolutely, totally sincere when we prayed that. I mean, we meant it. We were like, oh, man, my idea, God's power, we could solve half the world's problems right here. And then later on, you're like, yeah, if you got anything going in there in heaven right now, you might want to stop that because that's not going to look good right now. Hey, God, you know how to make me happy. Show me. I'm in. See, that's denying yourself. That's denying that you know what's best. No, you don't. He knows what's best. So just open the doors. Let me see the pathway. Create the direction that you want. Let, let me see enough so that I know what I need to do with my will and my resources. Show me enough so that I... Because the other part is this. I've said, please don't tell me everything. I probably wouldn't sleep tonight. There are some things that I just think, leave it with God. Just, just show me. I don't want to... I don't know. Anybody with me? I don't want to know everything. Just show me enough so I know where I'm going and know what I'm doing, and I'll trust him on that. And then he comes to another segment. Take up their cross. Did you know he meant that literally? I've read a lot of disciples, ship books, and they symbolize it, you know, what's, what's picking up your cross today look like, and I'm not, I'm not against that. But when this was written... This was literal. Because one other thing that they were doing with the Christians from time to time was that Nero would uh, have animals furs coated in wax and then he would wrap Christians in these uh, uh, animal furs that had been coated with wax, put them on a cross and light them and let their bodies burn all night. History even records that Nero at one point put a series of crosses around his outside courtyard and put Christians' bodies up there in these animal skins with wax and lit them on fire and let the burning of their bodies provide light for his party. And when you, when you know that and you read this, Mark was using a teaching of Christ that said this, if you find out you're to be burned, to be crucified, Ask him if you can carry your cross. I just know most of us just went, you got to be kidding me. That's what he was saying. Take up their cross. He was saying, if, if you know the day and you, and, and you know that they're not going to be putting you in the arena, but they're going to condemn you to death on the cross, he said, ask him. Ask him if you can carry the cross that they're going to be crucifying you and maybe some of your family members. You see, that made a statement inside of Rome because nobody in Rome would ever do that. But see, that story previous, Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem knowing that when I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be resurrected in three days. So he was giving the story previous to show that Jesus knew exactly that kind of request because he willingly walked to Jerusalem knowing what the agenda was and what was going to happen and what did Jesus do he didn't go hide he walked it and Jesus was saying here and if you have to walk that 
Ask him to carry your cross. Ask him if you can carry it. He meant that literally. And then you come back to this and follow me. He uses the same Greek word that I referred to just a little earlier when he was talking about disciple. So what you learn is this. A disciple means to follow Jesus. It actually means that you are buying into the teachings, that you are accepting his direction and his momentum. This is not, hey, I acknowledge that there's a God and I believe that there's a God. Well, great. Now you're on the same level as the demons. Because, the, hey, it even says in James, the demons believe that there's a God. So it's not enough to believe. They're just not walking in obedience. But, the, hey, trust me, all of hell knows there's a God. They've been fighting it for centuries, millenniums. Problem is, there's no obedience. So it's not acknowledging there's a God. It's following. And that's what he says here. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So, number two, let's read this. Defining the mentality. So Jesus goes on in this teaching and says, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So in essence, what he's telling him is this. You don't want to just deny me so that you can get free and then walk around the corner and rededicate your life. Oh, see, they were just as conniving back then as we are today. Well, I know what I'll do. See, I'll, I'll get unsaved to get out of here. And then when I get out, I'll get resaved again. Oh. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. I know this is hard for us to comprehend, but when we, there is such pressure today for culture to like us. And I think, I don't know where the momentums are going, but I think we better get a little more comfortable with the fact that I'm outside mainstream culture. I don't try to put myself there. I'm not trying to be, I'm not tr trying to be an irritant or be, I, listen, I'm a follower of Christ. Culture has moved. I'm still a follower of Christ. I'm still fixed. I still got the same foundation. I'm, I'm standing on that. I'm not, I'm not changing because culture is shifting. I, I think there's going to be a wake up coming to culture. And when they do, they're going to need a group of people who've got some, some legs under them and a foundation. By the way, that's what happened in Rome. Things began to fall apart, and all of a sudden, the Christians weren't so bad. They seemed to have their bearings and their moorings and their families and knew where they were going. And listen, by 350 A.D., 300 years, 50% of the Roman Empire had converted to Christianity. And the, and the Roman emperor at the time says, why are we outlawing all these Christians? when half the empire is Christians? Well, obviously, that's not working. And so he legalized Christianity, and literally, after 350 years, they were able to buy property and building and start having churches. But for three, 350 years, man, they were wanted people. They had to be sensitive of where they were. They had to watch how many people came in attendance, and hey, you know, we're gonna have to do these house churches. I mean, it was, and it was always subject to the political winds of the day. They had to be cautious and be careful. By the way, 
Notice later, this is Mark chapter 10, verses 29 through 30. The question would have been this. Does God really understand what's happening here and how this crisis is affecting my family? Does he get it? Does he understand? This is going to cost me everything. And Mark answers that. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Isn't that awesome? Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. God says this, they may take everything you have, but wait till you see what you've got coming back. Amen. He was answering him straight up. You're right, I know this. It's costing you. Culture has now reached a point where now they blame you for all the ills and the problems. And God says, I just want you to know your reward is unbelievable, hundredfold. They may take everything, but they cannot take your soul. Amen? Amen? This is the last point. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> it's a long point. <laughs> it's one point that lasts usually like three points do, all right? I'm going to expand on this quite a bit. So everybody read this last one with me. Read it out loud. You cannot separate cannot separate the person of Jesus from God's word. Western ideology, which is what we're part of, this is, this, listen to me, this is what's being done. You have spiritual leaders who are trying to keep the personhood of Jesus while they tell their people that this part of the Bible is no longer relevant, applicable. They have a, a, a variety of ways. But the big picture is this. They are trying to separate the person of Jesus from the teachings of Scripture. So you'll hear them talk Jesus, but you'll hear them distance and change the biblical teachings. And you need, listen to me, I'm equipping, I'm equipping you for this. I, you need to know that. Because what the Bible says is, that's impossible. I know you can do it in word. It just doesn't work in reality. Look what's written in Mark 8.31. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. He says, if you're embarrassed about what I say, then I'm embarrassed about you. It's not just, I, I like the person of Jesus, I just sometimes don't like what he says. Well, Jesus says, well, when you get me, you get what I say. Okay? And the word shame means feelings of guilt or disgrace. It means to be reluctant or unwilling to do because of embarrassment. It's kind of like going, mm, you know, I love you, Jesus. But I just can't buy into that one thing you taught. I, Jesus says, you don't get to separate me from what I said. John, listen, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, the word 
was with God and the Word was God. You, you, you don't get to separate, man. Sorry, they're together. They're one and the same. So, as we look at this a little further, we go over to John chapter 14. And this is what the, the Apostle John writes. He caught, a, he caught part of Jesus' teaching. Notice what he said. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So what you have is this. We have people who are acknowledging Jesus. That's why they feel they can peel off the teaching. Because they're acknowledging Jesus, they're not loving him. And somebody would counter that with, oh, you shouldn't judge my heart like that. I said, I'm not. He is. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. When did you back off loving and just going to liking or even tolerating? But you can't use the word love. Oh, I love you. No. The Bible says you don't. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teachings. Does anybody... Need me explain that? I, mean, I know sometimes the Bible is written in mysterious ways. Does anybody? And by the way, I'm not hopping. I'm not. I'm not saying those who do this are wrong. I'm just saying, just for you, you. You know, I'm not jumping around in translations. I'm staying with one. I'm not trying to find something that's. I'm. I'm being consistent. Okay. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teachings. Hmm. So we go back to, well, then that means you're just, you like him or you're just acknowledging. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So not only you're trying to separate the person of Jesus from the teachings, you're also trying to separate God the Father from the teachings. Hmm. Do, you, do you... Do you feel like I'm equipping you this morning? It's, I, want you to, I want you to be able to go, that's what's happening. They've, they've decided his teachings are separate from who he is. And Jesus is saying, no, what I taught is who I am. And you can't separate me. You, you can't separate me from my teachings. Those are my teachings. Remember, it even tells us in Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed. So when you peel the word away from the person of Jesus, you are trying to say and cancel God's breath. Good luck on that one. Okay. Then you come to Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. What I want you to, the reason I'm reading all these to you is I want you to see that this is nothing new that we face today. Rome was on the same track as we see some of the things that are happening in our culture today. And so the, the responses of the apostles to this is somewhat amazing. It's like they could have wrote it last night. Literally, like, hey, I got a word for you. I wrote it last night. So here's Paul as he's responding to the pressures of Rome in his day. In Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. How many know that just sounds like it got wrote last night? Hey, listen, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. 
Here we go. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Anybody need translation? As we have already said, so now I say again. So this is Paul. He's under. He's 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 in a preaching mode now. He's starting. You know they're you know they're preaching when they repeat. <laughs> if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be God under God's curse. Do you realize that Paul said, even if I do this, you I'm under God's curse. I appreciate this congregation. I've had some some really good conversations and some very nice things that, that get said. And some folks over the last few weeks said, man, I so appreciate this and so glad you are bold and so glad you're this. And let me, let me tell you something. Let me tell you why I'm being bold. Because if I don't, it's my salvation. I'm bold because it's self-preservation. You see, the gospel cuts both ways. It cuts for those who listen, but it also cuts on those who preach it. God never gave me permission to divide his word into categories I like and I don't like. So therefore, I'll preach what I like and I won't preach what I don't like. No, he, he doesn't give that to me. So yeah, I'll tell you, sometimes I'm like, boy, this is going to be a fun day. But the word is very clear. I, if, if, I, if I mess with his word, I jeopardize myself. So we're going to stick with what he says. Because that sword cuts both ways. Now, we're going to jump to the book of Revelation. A lot of times, there's actually some really good teaching inside of Revelation. And it's unfortunate that sometimes the only reason we go there is for the prophetic realms and we all sit down and we're going to say, I'm going to figure out Revelation like it's never been figured out before. <laughs> and then somewhere around Revelation chapter 10, what in the world is going on here? What does all this symbolism mean? And you know, then you're, you know, you're like, I'm back to the Gospel of John where I can understand what's going on here. How can he write the Gospel of John and the Revelation? It's, John is so easy to understand his Gospel. Revelation, you know, so... so we're at, we're, at the, we're at the last two chapters in the book of Revelation. What I want you to see is what he wrote. He says in Revelation chapter 21, verses 7 and 3, Those who are victorious will inherit all this, talking about the, the things of heaven, and I will be their God, and, will be, and, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all liars. Preachers who preach a gospel other than the one that Jesus preached. They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I know some people, hey, you, you, should, you shouldn't say that. I didn't. I just read it. I didn't script it. I didn't change it. I just read it. 
People who are messing with the teachings of the Bible today, I pray for them. I pray God help them to see what they're doing. It's dangerous. Not just for people who accept what they say, but for them personally. We go on to Revelation chapter 22. It says, blessed are those who wash their robes, they, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Well, that's exciting. Catch this. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. They decide that they're the authority on the teachings of Christ. There's eternal consequence for that. That's why I said, I'll be honest with you, I preach partly out of courage and partly out of the fear of the Lord. I'll be honest with you. Oh, I'll add a third element. I love them too. Look how he wraps up that chapter. I tell you what, can we, can, we, can we all read this together? Read it out loud. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. Just stop. God says, don't you go adding to my stuff. It speaks for itself. Don't you mess with it. Let's continue on. Let's read. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in the scroll. God says, you take away from my word, I take away your share. cannot separate the person of Jesus from his teachings. And yet, it has now become commonplace within the faith in many, many branches of Christianity. I guess my message to you is this. Warning. Be careful. Here's what they're doing. Here's how they're doing it. Don't buy into that. God's word is not silent. It speaks to that. That's a tactic that has been tried over and over and over. The devil has nothing new under the sun. He has old ideas that he recycles. And this is a recycled job that he's done over the centuries and millenniums. And now he's back using the same tactic again. Listen to me. Jesus and his teachings are one. You get, if you want Jesus, you take his teachings. You take the teachings, you get Jesus. They're one. We cannot, and he has not given you any one authority to separate the two. They're one. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet this morning. Did you do that? And I want you to praise him this morning. Come on, lift your hand. I want you to praise him. That, that hey... He's reliable. 
that as the winds shift and change and move, man, he's a, he's a cornerstone. He's a steadfast rock that we can count on. If we stand on the word, nothing's going to shift. Come on, let's praise him for that right now.